0: I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. Uh, We will go as far as I can as I look at the sermon that I have before you this morning. It is quite obvious in my mind I will not get through it all. But the wonderful thing is that we can pick up uh, where we left off uh, next week. As we have been studying through 1 John and we've looked at at sort of the big picture of it... that John is dealing with, in his own day, false teachers that have risen up. And so we looked at the first six verses. And those verses end in verse six, the last phrase of it, if you'll notice what it says. It says, hereby we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And so when you read the first six verses, it's very combative. It's very like, you know, black and white, truth and error... Antichrist, Christ, stand for God, don't believe everything you hear. And so that is the point of truth. And then suddenly we come to verse seven, and it almost seems like an abrupt disconnect, like you pull a plug out from one cord that you have and you plug in a different cord. But what we'll see over the next number of weeks is that they are actually not disconnected from each other because truth and love go together. They have a symbiotic relationship. You can't have one without the other. It's more like two cords being plugged into the same side-by-side wall socket. If you'll go back in your room, almost every single room has two sockets not one. And if you find generally one socket, it means it's a really old building. There's always the two. And with God, there's always his truth, and there is always his love. So let's look at verses 7 and 8. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God Is love. Here in 1 John, we have both the presence of truth and we have the presence of love, or if it's a false teacher, the absence of truth and also the absence of love, because a false teacher will never truly love in a biblical manner. And as we begin this section in in verse 7 down to the end of the chapter, verse 21, the word "love" is mentioned thirty times. That is more than any other chapter in the whole Bible. We have a t- we have a tendency tendency to say First Corinthians thirteen is the love chapter in the Bible. Actually, is First John chapter four. Because here, John is giving this huge overview, and over the next number of weeks, we are going to be exposed to understanding God's love and actually how it works within our own life. And this morning, as we look at these two verses, we find 20% of the references of love found in this section in these two verses. Let me read it again. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that lo- knoweth not, he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And what John is doing here is he's laying down two main reasons why true believers are obligated to love one another. And those two reasons, first of all, is this, and this is probably where we'll spend the bulk of the, our time, And that is the reason that we love one another is that love is the nature of God. What does he say? Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. This is John's foundational statement. The command for believers to love one another is grounded in the very nature of God. Let's put it this way. If you don't love, then you don't know God. You're not even saved. And John is telling us that love is more than an attribute of God. We think of the attributes of God. We think of things like his omnipotence, his omnipresence his arm um, uh, he knows all things he's everywhere present he's unchanging he's immutable he's holy he's just he's righteous he's good he's perfect he's merciful he's gracious those are all attributes of the nature of God but here it's different for here he is saying that love is the expression of who God is God is, fill in the blank, God is love. He says, for love is of God. That literally means love is out of God. Just like light radiates out from the sun or a mighty river gushes out of a deep spring. So true love radiates, it gushes out from God. So John is saying here that love is the motivating source, the motivating cause of all of God's actions. If God does something, he does it out of love. All of it comes out of love. So when God created the world out of nothing by the word of his mouth, God spoke in love. When God established his covenants with the patriarchs, Noah, Abraham, Moses, and David, he ratified them in love. When God redeemed the the children of Israel from the Egyptian bondage, he redeemed them and he brought them out in love. Listen to Deuteronomy 7 verse 7. He says, speaking of redeeming the children of Israel, he said it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. What he is saying is God's electing love for the Jewish people was not based on their size, based on their wealth, based on their strength, based on their intellect, based on their good looks, based on their disposition. God did not see something in them and chose them because of what they did for him. He chose to love them out of his own love. He said it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath he swore to your fathers that the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you. So what he's saying is God's actions flow out of his love. Think about it this way. Every aspect of the life of Jesus, the Son of God, was a revelation of the Father's love for the world. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave his only begotten Son. So when we look at the incarnation, the Son of God, God becoming a human being, was rooted in love. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, it was out of love for God that he did this to show us God's power over sin. When we look at his merciful miracles, it was out of love. His teaching, his sufferings, his arrest, his trial, his crucifixion, his burial, his resurrection, his appearances after he rose from the dead, his ascension to heaven. All of these are demonstrations of God's love. That's how you're to look at it. And if all that God does finds its source in God's love, maybe you ask the question, why love? Why not some different quality? For example, let's take Genesis 1:1. When you read the opening line, we immediately see qualities of God from the start. In the beginning, God created. We see God is eternal. He was he, he existed before there was any existence. And God is powerful. He was able to speak the world into existence. So what do we learn? We learn who he is. We learn what he does. But we don't know why he did it. What was the reason behind creation? Was God lonely and he wanted relationships with human beings? Did God want to show how powerful and controlling he is? Later on, we learned that everything God made, he said, was what? What was it? Everything he made was good. By the way, what does it mean when something's good? How many of you have ever eaten a good meal before? Raise your hand, okay? How many have ever eaten a bad meal? Raise your hand, okay? How many have ever watched a good movie? How many have ever watched a bad movie? I'm not talking about evil, I'm just saying it was kind of crummy, okay? How many have ever heard a good good sermon? How many have ever heard a bad sermon? Okay, we know the difference. We have five grandchildren and I have four children. When I look at my children and my grandchildren, I ask the same question, but I ask the question in a different spirit. When I look at my children, I think, What do you want? When I look at my grandchildren, I ask, What do you want? It's a different tone a different spirit. You say, why'd you say that? I don't know. I just thought it was really good. (laughs) When we look at the world that God created, why did God create the world? I said this during Bible conference that I read a book called Delighting in the Trinity. You need to read it. It's a wonderful book. And in it, he gives us an explanation of why God created everything with two illustrations from two historic church leaders. The first came from the early church father, Augustine. He deduced the doctrine of the Trinity from the nature of love. He said it this way, if God is loving, then that love, that nature, has to be expressed. You can't hold in love. You can't selfishly hold on to it. It has to go out. Therefore, there must be more than one person in the Godhead to whom love can be expressed. You don't hold in love, you give it out. Then there's a second illustration from a 12th century church father, or religious leader. His name was Richard of St. Victor. I thought he said something very interesting. He argued that if God was just one person, he could not be intrinsically loving. Since for all eternity, that is before creation, he would have had no one to love. Think about it. We live in time, God lives in eternity, God always has been, so when he created the world, he had been living forever before that, and if he's a loving God, who would he have loved? He goes on to say, he went on to say that if there were two persons, God might be loving but more in an excluding ungenerous way. After all, when two persons love each other, they can be so infatuated with each other that they simply ignore everybody else. Do you not understand that here at Bob Jones? I mean, I'm sure some of you have had a friend that started talking to someone else and suddenly that's all who they talk to and about. And after a while, you get tired of it. Well, some people can love each other so much that they ignore everybody else. Well, a God like that would be far from being good. So he goes on to say, but when when the love between two persons is happy, healthy, and secure, they rejoice to share it. Just so it is with God, said Richard, being perfectly loving from all eternity, the Father and the Son have delighted to share their love and joy with and through the Spirit of God. It is not then that God becomes sharing, being triune, God is a sharing God, a God who loves to include, a God who creates. Why? Because he wants to spread his love, not keep his love. So the nature of love has to be expressed. It's outgoing. It radiates. It cannot be contained. This is why God created all things, because God is love. Have you ever heard of the book, The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis? He captures the difference between the devil and God. He says it this way. This is Screwtape, a senior demon who writes, these words. He says, one must face the fact that all the talk about his love, that's God's love for men, and his service being perfect freedom is not mere propaganda, but an appalling truth. He really, God, really does want to fill the universe with a lot of loathsome little replicas of himself. Creatures whose life on its miniature scale will be qualitatively like his own, not because he has absorbed them, but because their wills freely conform to his will. We, speaking of the demons, want cattle who can finally become food. He wants servants who can finally become sons. We want to suck in, he wants to give out. We are empty and would be filled He is full and flows over. So here's the question. Why should we love each other? Because love is of God. All creation is an expression of the love of God. So when you ask the question, what was God doing before he created the world? What's the answer? In John 17, Jesus tells us, Jesus tells us what God was doing before he ever made the world. Listen to what it says in verse 24, John 17. He says, Father, Jesus speaking, I desire that they also whom you have given me may may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. What was God doing before he created the world? He was loving His Son. And that love between the Father and the the Son was communicated through the Holy Spirit. Think about it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth, Genesis 1-1, Genesis 1-3, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the earth. The Holy Spirit that reflects the love of God moved in the creation of this world. Isn't this world a cool place? How How many of you like to catch fish? Yeah, isn't that fun? How many of you like to shoot Bambi? Okay, a few of you do. Some of you like to shoot Bambi. Some of you like to look at Bambi. Either way, it's all good. How many of you like to go climb in the mountains? How many of you like to swim in the ocean? How many of you, how many of you enjoy going to different places in the world? How many of you got a bucket list that you'd like to go somewhere other than South Carolina in your life? Okay, Sure. And we, we, we live in a world that constantly delights us. Why is that? Because God is a delightful God. Love is the very foundation of the Father's nature. Jesus said in John 17, 26, I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Why do we love each other? Because it is the nature of the Father expressed in creation and best demonstrated on the cross. For God demonstrates his love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Think about it. God loves you because he did for you what you could never do for yourself. He lived the life that you should have lived and he died the death that you should die when he died on the cross so that you could have a relationship with God forever. And why did he do that? It is because he loves you. And the most stabilizing, secure thought you could ever have in your life is that God loves you. I was a youth pastor for five years. My first two years of my ministry, I had to spend time getting over myself before I could actually be effective in ministry. And it took me a while to get there because I'm kind of slow. And it finally dawned on me after two years that I can never find security in my teenagers accepting me as their youth pastor. In other words, everybody wants to be accepted by the people that surround them. That's just human nature, and that's why we're so insecure, because we never know if we're really being accepted. And I went through that trial, and as I read the Word of God, God continually reemphasized to me that He loves me no matter what. I mean, the greatest rejection on planet Earth is when man rejected God when they nailed his son to the cross. And it finally dawned on me that God loves me, and he didn't love me the day I got saved. He loved me in eternity past because we love him because he first what? Loved us. It is the most secure, stabilizing thought you could ever have. Even when you get married, the person you marry will never be able to give you all the security of love and acceptance that you want. It must ultimately come from the deep eternal wells of God's love. And the reason why you and I are to love each other, and it's, it's the way we learn to love each other is not me giving to you, it's that I learned that God is given to me and I'm secure in him. Now I am free. To love you, I don't need you to get something from you for me in a sense of what you can't give me because I have it all in God. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God for God is love. Father, we thank you. For a truth that is beyond our comprehension, but it is something that we can revel in, believe in, and trust in. Lord, help us to love one another because of your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day.